but we're actually going to take a time today to look at the qualifications for elder. And the reason why we're doing that is because we are at a time in our church, uh, we are a year and a half old, and our denomination has said, you guys seem to be ready to be an established church in which you can nominate and elect elders in your church. And so uh, now is the time to start doing that. Um, but before we do that, it's important that we look and see what the qualifications are for an elder. And so listen closely today. Uh, these, of course, are, are expectations of all believers. But for those who exude these, men that exude these, these are men that should be nominated to be elders of Jacob's Well Church. And so this is very important for you today to listen closely so you can nominate wisely uh, men to lead this church. We're going to be looking at two passages today that deal with the qualifications for elder. And so the first is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you could open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have a red Bible, uh, it's on page 992. And then we will also be looking at Titus, which is just a few pages later in the Bible. And so we're going to start with 1 Timothy chapter Three, and we are going to read verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is the same name for elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All right, let's flip over just a few pages forward to Titus chapter 1. Uh, in the Red Bible, it's on page 998. Titus chapter 1. And you will see a lot of the same language. Some things are further developed in this passage. Titus 1, verse 5 through 9. Before I read it, let me just say that when Paul went and planted churches, the last thing he would do to establish that church is he would put elders in that church. And so he's writing this to Timothy to tell him to establish a leadership team of elders. Verse 5, Titus 1, 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to charges of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word to understand what the qualifications are for elder, I pray that you would help us see that these are expectations even of ourselves, God, and that we fall far short and we need Christ to grow us in these areas. God, we also pray that you would help us as we think about who should be an elder in this church. God, pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the members of this church to, uh, to bring names to mind, Lord God, to investigate thoroughly and to nominate joyfully men to help serve them by leading this church. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. There is a Wisconsin mayor who has stolen the headlines nationally. Uh, I won't name his name, but you will probably know who it is. Uh, This man was elected mayor back in 2009. He had won the hearts of the people in his county. Uh, It is a county that was called the best place in America to raise a family at one time. And so he had great support and great popularity. But later in 2009, after he was elected, he was filmed on a video camera uh, making sexual remarks about his wife's sister in a drunken stupor at a bar. Uh, He repented of it, asked people's forgiveness, and he said, I will go and seek help. And I, I believe he did go into some form of rehab. But earlier this year, uh, he had a major relapse in which he would go out of his town to a couple of taverns and he would get absolutely trashed. Uh, Some of the tavern employees said that he came to town on an absolute rampage, that they had to cut him off, that he was obnoxious and rude, that he was uh, even very vulgar, especially to women. Uh, It ended up landing him in a barroom brawl. A guy punched him because he was so obnoxious. All of this happened three weeks prior to him being brought up on charges of sexual harassment by one of his secretaries. And this man is married with kids and serving as mayor of one of the major communities here in Wisconsin. And so as we read such things and we hear about such things, as Christians, we're not called to make fun of him or to judge him, but to pray for him, to love for him love him, to communicate to him in any way possible the love of Jesus Christ. Christ who frees us from the penalty of our sin and frees us from the bondage of our sin. But this man, through his leadership and poor character qualities, has brought this community into major shame. Throughout the country, they have been talking about this. Even Leno has made jokes about this community. And so what we see from this is it is so extremely important that you choose wisely who will lead this church, who will lead any organization, because as the leaders go, so go the organization. And so as we come today to see that we are going to start nominating elders, this is not a task to be taken lightly. This is a great task. This is a task that we should do with much respect towards God's holiness, God's church, Christ's bride, as we consider who might be those that would lead this church as elders of Christ's church. And so the question that we're going to look at today, what are the basis, what are the qualifications for a man to be an elder at Jacob's? Well, it's for a man to be elder of 
a church? Is it that he is friendly, that he is nice, that he has lots of popularity? Is the qualification that he runs an amazing business and earns lots of money and has lots of business savvy? We'll see that those are not the qualifications at all. Sometimes those are indicators of great things, but the qualifications that Paul gives are far different. And we're going to break it down into three qualifications. There are character qualifications. There are competency qualifications. And there are there is a calling qualification. And so we'll look at those character, competency, and calling qualification. First, we're going to look at the character qualification. It says three times in these two, two passages that he must be above reproach talking about his character. And so the question is, what does it mean that he should be above reproach? And Paul kind of diffuses that and explains it throughout these passages, what it looks like for a man to be above reproach. And it's, it's hard to preach through lists because you can get very you know, clogged up going through it. And so I kind of have it broken down into four H's for you, okay? So hopefully we can grab onto it a little bit. But a man who is to be an elder should be a part of the 4-H club, right? Not... Not the one in school, but the one of the church, the one of the Bible. And the H's are this, that he would be humble, that he would be happy, which I'll explain more as being content, that he would be honorable, and that he would be hospitable. The four H's. So let's look at the first one. And looking at the character qualifications, he must be humble. And I'm going to put up here on PowerPoint, kind of lead you through uh, what those things are, because Paul lists probably 20 different qualifications for these. First, it says that he must be sober-minded. This means he must be level-headed, that we, he engages with people in conflict, that he comes with a cool demeanor, that he doesn't react viciously, but that he comes to them, responding to them in love, objectively thinking of the long-term consequences of his decision. Also, it says that he should not be violent, but gentle, it goes on, other things that it says is he should not be quarrelsome, not quick-tempered, not arrogant. And so the underlying assumption is that there will be disagreements in the church. Just like any family, there will be dysfunctionality and there will be tension. And so it needs to be a man who handles conflict well. It should not be a man, whenever conflict arises, he, he flexes his, his intellectual muscles and demeans people through large theological terms, or should uh, the, one of the terms here actually means bruiser, so hopefully he's not getting in fights with people over theological doctrines. That's pretty serious. Uh, but it should be someone who can handle conflict well, who doesn't run away from it, who doesn't get enraged and demean people, but someone who engages conflict well with gentleness. That's part of humility. And then finally, we see that he shouldn't be a recent convert. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 6, if you have your Bible open there, I'll read it again. It says, he must not be a re recent convert, and here's why. Or he may become puffed up with conceit, which is the opposite of humility, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And so this is just common sense. If someone has come to faith in Christ and has not had the process of living life as a Christian, they have never had the humbleness of living life and again finding out time and time again that it is only by the blood of Christ that we are saved. It is only by Christ that we are cherished by God. And it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can take the next step in pursuing godliness. And so it says, wait until they have lived 
a season of their life that they might mature in their faith and grow in humility. It says, if you don't, they will fall into the condemnation of the devil. This was the exact same thing that happened to the devil. He knew that he was beautiful and he became proud and it led to his downfall. And so it says here, wait till they are seasoned that they can grow in humility. There is this proverb that I saw this week. I guess you would say it's a proverb. And it says, the branches that bear the most fruit bows lowest to the ground. Those which bear the least fruit raise themselves up to the highest. As we walk through this Christian journey, as we walk through pursuing God, we should grow in humility as we see more and more that we can do nothing on our own, but it's completely by the power and the grace of God that we do anything good at all. And those that bear fruit, that grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, so on and so forth, that they would hang low, that they would be humble in serving others, that they're not here to gloat their eldership, but here to serve. So they serve in humility. That is the first H of the 4-H club. Second is that they are happy. Now, this, this doesn't mean that they walk around with all smiles all the time, but that they are satisfied. That might be a better term, but it did start with an H, so I used happy. They're satisfied, meaning that they are content with life situations. And he lists through a different th- couple different things here. It says that, that they are not drunk, right? That they don't indulge in wine, that they're not trying to fix their life through medication, through drugs, but they are content knowing that where they need to go for their medication is Christ and nowhere else. They also should not be a lover of money, not greedy for gain. And so, you know, a person who is struggling with financial debt, a person who gets in massive credit card debt because they always live above their means, is someone who is not ready yet to be an elder. Someone who is greedy in their practices who, who, who practice their jobs without integrity to gain money, who are always thinking about money. Sometimes people who plan on retiring early just for their own selfish reasons are people who probably will not make good elders because if they're greedy, you can't trust them with the church's finances. It also says that they should be self-controlled and disciplined. And again, uh, this is part of curbing impulses, knowing that you are satisfied completely by the love of Christ, and you need nothing else to fill that void in your life. And so, so far we have that they are to be humble, that they are to be happy, meaning satisfied with the life that God has given to them. The third is that they should be honorable. He says that they should be respectable. Someone that you feel is worthy of esteem. Someone that you say, I see that person walking with Jesus, and I want to walk like they do with Jesus. Someone that you would say, I want that man to be my elder a lover of good upright and holy someone who loves righteousness who loves virtue who loves what god loves who loves to be a part of his redemption and then well thought of by outsiders this is a man that non-christians even respect that non-christians would say you know i see this man and i don't agree with everything that he says but i can see that he should be a leader in the church they respect him He doesn't give empty promises and not follow through. He respects them. He he builds them. He gives them dignity and worth. He doesn't demean them. And so they see that he is respectable, that he is honorable, that he has a good rapport with outsiders. There's a story of a a young man who was working in a department store. And the 
things had shifted around at church that he had to work on Sunday mornings and could no longer come to church. And so he approached his boss and he said, Here, here's the thing. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's the time that I go to worship the Lord and I, I can't work during that time. And the manager said, okay, I understand, but uh, we're going to have to let you go if that's the situation. And so they let him go. Uh, the young man goes on to apply for a job as a bank teller. And the executive of the bank calls the man from the department store, calls the manager to get his reference. And the department store manager says, why, yes, I would be glad to recommend him. He will make you a good employee. I just fired him a few days ago. And, and, and the guy from the, uh, from the bank said, fired him? Why in the world would you give a positive recommendation to a man that you fired just a few days ago? And his response was, I know that he will make for you a good employee because he would not steal God's time. He certainly won't steal your money. And so you see, he had a good reputation with outsiders. An elder is one who is not uh, open to accusation from those outside the church. He will not bring shame on the good news of Jesus Christ. He will not bring shame on the church. But he will be a man who walks with integrity, who walks a repentant life before others. And so we have that he should be humble, he should be happy, he should be honorable, and finally he should be hospitable. You know, this is a very interesting thing in Northeast Wisconsin because it is very easy to be hospitable to family, to those that are close to us. But this term actually means to be someone who invites strangers into their house, people who are new to Green Bay, people who are new to you, to invite them into your home, to fellowship with them, to enjoy them, to get to know them, to love them and to serve them. And he is to be a man of hospitality. I love the line from Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing where it says, Jesus sought me as a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. You see, a man understands that we were all strangers to God, but through Christ, God sought us out and brought us to himself. And that is our power and motivation for seeking those who are new, seeking those who are strangers because God first sought us. So this list is not exhaustive, but it's a general picture of what a solid Christian looks like, what your elders should look like. It's the 4-H club, that they would be humble, happy, honorable, and hospitable. And so those are the character qualifications. There's also competency qualifications, character qualifications, competency qualifications, it's interesting, Paul does not target, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't target the man's professional career. Right? I think it would be tempting for us to say, this guy is really famous in the business scene in Green Bay. He should be an elder. Or this man knows how to make money. He knows how to operate a business. People enjoy working for him, which are all good and noble things. But what he points to is how does the man lead his family? That is the indicator. That is the litmus test for whether he can lead the church. 1 Timothy 3.2 puts it this way. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Titus says the same thing. 
It's not talking about if a man has been married and his wife dies and he remarries, he cannot be an elder. That's not what it's talking about. The literal translation from the Greek of this phrase is that he is a one-woman man. He is a one-woman man, meaning this man knows how to be faithful to a wife through thick and thin. Many of you know, if you have ever been married for more than 10 days, That is only by the grace of God that we are faithful to our spouses. It is by the grace of God that we are faithful to them, that we love them, that we serve them, because we ourselves are so selfish. And you have two sinners, and you put them together, and everything erupts. And so Paul is seeing if he is a faithful man, if he is faithful to God by being faithful to his wife, and if he is faithful to God by being faithful to his wife, then he can be faithful to God by being faithful to the church. Paul goes on, 1 Timothy 3, 4. He says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, not with harshness, not with abuse, not with manipulation or guilt trips. Keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? There's another assumption here that households are crazy when you have kids, that you have kids that naturally, because they are born with selfish tendencies, want to repel, want to say mine, want to push kids over, want to kick other kids out of the house, right? Our kids kind of want to do this, want to punch, want to throw things. And so the qualification here is not that the kids are perfect, but that when the kids mess up, which happens frequently, that the father is an integral part of bringing that family back into order, that he doesn't just give all the responsibilities to mom, but he comes in and lovingly, with wisdom that is unique to each child, helps them to obey. Whatever that looks like through discipline, but they come into conformity with what the father is asking them to do. Sometimes it's not quickly, but he is an involved part of their life, that he loves them enough to discipline them. It goes on and it kind of talks about this in Titus 5, 6 as well. It says, and his children are believers. Now, I don't think that the word for believers there is the word pistos, which is in the Greek. And uh, it's actually translated 75% of the time. This word is translated faithful. And I think that's actually what it means here, Uh, especially given the context. I won't give you all the reasons, but the word and is also put in there. It's not actually in the the original language. And so what it seems to say is that, and his children are faithful, and this is how, not open to charges of debauchery, which is excessive living, uh, which is getting out and getting drunk. Their kids are coming home at night, things like that. Or prodigality, uh, or prodigality, or insubordination, which means that they're not submissive, that they're rebellious, that they're constantly fighting against their parents. And so what we see here is the most important testing ground, the most important qualification for a man to lead the church is that he can lead his own family well. When I was in St. Louis uh, in seminary, I was getting way out of shape, and I saw that the St. Louis Marathon was coming up in a few months. And so I thought, you know what, I will sign up, and that will be motivation for me to run because I'm cheap enough that I don't want to miss it if I pay money. So I signed up, got me and my brother and my wife to sign up to start training for it. 
Um, the St. Louis Marathon is something that's, that it's a qualifier for the Boston Marathon. Maybe you've heard of that before, but if you run in a certain time, then you qualify to run in the Boston Marathon. Uh, if you run over that time, you cannot run in the Boston Marathon. Okay? For my age group, it was somewhere around three hours and ten minutes. You had to run a full marathon in three hours and ten minutes in order to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Well, I, uh, I ran uh, my race in two hours and 30 minutes. Um, it just happened to be the half marathon. Uh, so I didn't quite make it for the Boston. But there are many who did, many who qualified for the Boston Marathon. And you see that that race was a qualifier for another race. And it's the same way that it says it is with the family. If you qualify, you qualify in your family by running the marathon of being a father. And you run it well. If you run that marathon well, then you can run the marathon of being an elder in the church. And so that is a qualifier for men to be elders. Another qualifier is that he would not only uh, lead his family well, that he would have competency to do that, but he'd also be competent to teach the word. Titus 1.9 says it this way. It says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so elders should be capable of understanding the deep truths of the Word of God so that they can teach it through community groups, through Bible study, through one-on-one times. But so they can also defend the truth against heresies. I'm, I'm amazed by that show. Uh, it's, do you ever have those shows that you watch during commercial breaks? You probably mostly have TiVo or whatever, DVR it, but I don't. So I always switch to channel, and I, I like to switch to PBS because they don't really have commercials. And I love watching the show Antiques Roadshow. Maybe many of you are familiar with it. But it is amazing the amount of information that the curators there, I guess you'd call them that, but the amount of information they know about history. And that information is used to determine whether something is true, whether it is real, whether it is valuable, or whether it's a piece of junk. And so people will bring things in, and a guy will touch the paper, and he'll be like, you know, I don't think this is really... Uh, authentic because, you know, in this part of England during this decade, they would have used this type of paper with this type of ink. And you're just sitting there thinking, how does this guy know this stuff? That is absolutely ridiculous. This guy is a dork, right? I mean, that's unbelievable. But it's fascinating all at the same time. Elders are to be men who have a firm grasp, not just of history, but a firm grasp of the Word of God so that they can diagnose everything that comes into the church. That can say, this is a great celebration of the good news of Jesus Christ, or can say, you know what, this is junk, and we need to throw it out. And so men are called to, to qualify by being able to lead their family and to be able to teach and defend the Word of God. Finally, we see there is a calling qualification, and I'm running out of time. 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is the same as elder, he desires a noble task. A man who seeks to be elder, to aspire to be elder, it must first originate in his heart that he feels 
called by God to do this task. Now, you have to be very careful here because it is not a calling to fame, certainly not a calling to fortune or to glory, but it is a calling to suffer for the sake of Christ's church. There were some missionaries around the turn of the 20th century that were called one-way missionaries. And they would depart and pack all of their things in a coffin. And they would only buy a one-way ticket knowing that they were never planning on coming back. That's amazing. There was one man named A.W. Milne. And he felt called to go and be one of these one-way missionaries to these uh, tribal men that were headhunters. Several missionaries had gone there before. All of them were killed. All of them were martyred. But he still felt called to go and to share the good news of Christ with them. By God's grace, Milne found favor with the tribesmen. He lived among them for 35 years and died a normal death. They buried him and on his tombstone they put this. They said, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Elders are called in a way to be one-way missionaries. You are called to lay down your life for the flock. You are called to serve them and to love them. Some of the sheep are headhunters. Some of the sheep bites. All of the sheep, including me, are stubborn. And so it's not the most glorious job in the world. It's not the easiest job or the happiest job. Sure, there are successes which we celebrate, but you are called to a difficult job. A job that Paul says here is noble. Is it always happy? No. Is it always easy? Certainly not. But it is always noble when it's done for the glory of God, and he must be called to that. So we have looked at today that elders and Christians are called to be people who fit these biblical qualifications. They are to be men that fit the character qualifications, the 4-H club. Remember, they're humble, they're happy, they're honorable, and they're hospitable. Uh, They fit the competency qualifications. They can lead their family and they can teach and defend the word of God. And they fulfill the calling qualifications that in their heart, God has prompted them for such a noble task as being an elder. Now, I'm about to say something that will seem to undermine this entire sermon, but it won't. (laughs) And so let me get there. If you're here today and you think, I am ready to be an elder. I fit all these qualifications to the T. This church is lucky to have me. You are not yet ready to be an elder. See, you want elders that are gospel men, and I'll explain what that means, but you want elders who look at these qualifications and shudder with fear. Men who look at these qualifications and say, if I am honest with myself and I see my own sin and I see the holiness of God, it is true that I do not fully meet these character qualifications. I am not a humble man. I am arrogant in my heart. I often think that I am right and everybody else is wrong. If only they could be like me, right? Am I the only one who's ever had that thought? I'm not a happy person. I'm not always content with what God has given to me. So many times I want to go to the store or I want to go get chocolate or whatever it might be to to fill this void in my life. I don't run to Christ. I run to other things. I am not as honorable as many would think. So many times I crave 
sin. I am not hospitable. I'm often selfish with my house and with my time. I lead my family, but not as well as I should. I don't teach and defend the word of God as boldly and fiercely and as repetitively as God would call me to be. I'm not sure I could be called to be an elder because I don't fit these qualifications perfectly. None of you do. I don't. But there is one great elder, Jesus Christ, that fulfilled these fully, these qualifications to a T. And when we look to the great elder, Jesus Christ, we are reminded of our own sin and we look to Christ and we trust his qualifications on our behalf, not to be elders, but to be, but to stand before a holy and righteous God. As we look at these characteristics, I hope all of you have looked in your life and said, man, I do not fulfill those like I should. And I need someone else to merit those on my behalf. You see, at the cross, there was this great exchange of qualifications. See, Jesus's qualifications, well, let me back up, our qualifications, which do not merit God's favor or God's love, is placed on Jesus Christ at the cross and it is punished through his death. But that's only half the story. His perfect qualifications, perfect obedience for those who trust in Christ is applied to us so that God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ and delights in us and loves us. And is overjoyed with us, not because of anything we have done, not because we qualified, but because Christ is qualified on our behalf. It would be as if I ran in that half marathon and some guy said, here, I'll I'll trade tags with you and you can qualify for the Boston. I mean, that would have been horrible, but he transferred his qualifications to us. Now, now, does that negate everything we just talked about? for qualifications of elder? And and the answer is no. And here's two reasons why. First off, we're not electing perfect men. We're not nominating perfect men. We're nominating men who have solid Christian character. And part of that solid Christian character is in their humility, they are repentant men. These are not men who are open to accusations from outsiders that would diminish the church or men who have given themselves over to sin, but men who fight the battle a purity and holiness to serve God and to serve his family well. And the second reason is, is because a man does not nominate himself to be an elder. You do. And so while he sees things in his life that need to grow, you may look at it and say, that is amazing. And I want to have that heart in my own life to grow in godliness. And so it is up to you, not up to them to nominate them. And so here's how the process goes, and I'll end with this. If you are a member here of Jacob's Well, you have a solemn duty. Think of men who would be elders in this church. Pray about it first, okay? Go to that man and say, I want to nominate you to be an elder. Do you aspire to be an elder? And if they say yes, then you can come and share that with me, and I will put them on the list. And so first you have to nominate them. Then, uh, and you can submit those names to me through email, uh, over the phone, or on a piece of paper, whatever it might be. Then pray for these men pursuing eldership. We'll actually take six months to train these men in theology, uh, in the Bible, and other such areas. And then they will go before our, our denomination, and they will face an actual exam, thorough exam, 
to make sure they are qualified to lead you well. And they will cover all of these qualifications, their, their character qualities, their ability to lead their family, to teach the Word of God. And then next April, we'll, we'll, we'll submit these men to you and we will say, we will recommend these men be your elders and then you will vote them in. But as you look towards nominating a man, and you will have four weeks to do this, okay, four weeks to submit names for nomination, be in prayer. Look for gospel men who understand their sin, and they do not pursue it, but they pursue the righteousness of Christ by the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is not our church. This is your church. This is not our bride. This is Christ's bride. This is not just our family. This is your family. We are your children. And so, God, we pray that you would help us as we are given this amazing task to help choose people who will lead your church for your glory with your gospel. Pray that you would help us, that we would be prayerful in this, that we would consider that we would be active in pursuing this, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the great elder, Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled these qualifications perfectly like we never could so that the righteousness, his righteousness, could be applied to us and we could stand before you accepted and loved. In Jesus' name, amen.